0: So a 3-in-1 is my Coca-Cola. You ever had, like, salt and chili chicken? I don't even know what that means, man.
1: (laughs) Fuck. If my head doesn't explode.
0: Yeah.
1: So, Keelan, you're very welcome to the soundcheck. (laughs) And to Dublin. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, if we sound a bit rough, it's because we are very hungover.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mild understatement. Yeah. So how long have you been back in Ireland? Been here now a week. I'm here for another week and I'm heading back after that. So I'm trying to make the most of my time here. Which we did. Yeah. In one night I think we did.
1: Yeah, so last night we went to a fright club, which is Dublin's only horror book club. Did a QA for Ken. Yeah, it was nice. It was really good you got to meet Connor, director of um Stitches from the Dark. Uh on the intro, that's what you heard was last night Connor defending a 3 and one against a spice bag. (laughs) No, it was fun. It was a lot of fun, and people really enjoyed Kitten.
0: Good, but I still don't know what a spice bag is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, was it interesting hearing an Irish readership for one of your novels for the first time?
0: Very much so. I I have found that um, my readership, at least to my knowledge, is primarily American, because that's where I'm based. But it was lovely now hearing a bit of an Irish perspective on it worth anything like you know because I've I, f- I found that Irish people don't mince their words. They're like, oh yeah, good on you for writing the book, which is terrible. <laughs> you know? No bones about it. But uh yeah, I was happy everybody enjoyed it. And
1: yeah, they'd be honest if they
0: didn't like it, but anyway, I know I was, was dreading did. it. I was dreading it. I d I didn't know there was an <coughs> actual thumbs up, the, the, thumbs down yeah. system going on. Yeah, it was good. Mortal terror.
1: So when you came back you went to Waterford, it's where you're from.
0: When I came back, I went to, yeah, Dungarvan, and uh, I spent the better part of a week there. And the last couple of days I've been in Watford, City. So came up on the bus yesterday. I was very touristy, going around with my phone. I'm sure the whole place was laughing at me, but what can you do? Like welcome <laughs> home.
1: <laughs> so how's Sarah Candy doing? Doing
0: very well. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It's um, yeah. I wrote it in November. It's an idea I've had for years, but I only sat down and wrote it in November last year over the course of a week, and it it actually astonished me, the reception to it. Because I knew it was fun when I was writing, and and I find that the the ones that are more fun for me to write seem to be received better. But yeah, it's still, it's doing really well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: There was one thing I was, I was singing to you last night at Fry Club, um, There's a thing that you do that I've only seen Joe Orlando do in terms of writing. And that was your description of things, specifically sounds. You have a very unique perspective on you were describing, what was it? I think it was, I forget what you were describing. You said it sounded like barrels dropping down a staircase and it was such a perfect description, but it was so, you know, you were coming from a completely different angle that uh, I couldn't even begin to imagine
0: well, I think what it is, is that, you know, when you're when you're writing, the most obvious description comes to you first. Yeah. And it's always the one you reject first. And you think, well, what's a better way of saying that, but that doesn't lose what you're trying to say, you know? So I'd picture the image and I'd hear the sound and I'd try to make the two of them match. And if it works for me that way, then I'll write it. But it's fun. It's a fun part of the process, trying to come up with a unique way of describing a commonplace sound, you know? in some kind of a clever way but I don't do it to be clever.
1: Yeah.
0: I do it so that it's not something that maybe somebody has heard before. But it's essential that it, it gets across what you're trying to say or otherwise you're just writing to be fancy. Yeah. You know. But thanks very much for that's a lovely compliment.
1: No, it's um, the only other person to impress me with that kind of thing was Lancelot. And oh, is read... amazing. Your stuff, it did the same thing. It was very unique. Yeah, we're fucking hungover shit. What am I trying to say? <laughs> Let me get into, as you said, Burt Reynolds'
0: yeah. sitting situation. The Deadpool pose, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we need coffee on an IV at this yeah. point, Yeah, how I many
1: say. have you had so far? I don't know. This would be number five, I'd say. I'm on number four. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to take another sip.
0: Yeah. Jittery. It's like a vibrating bed here now. Yeah. Although I probably shouldn't have said that now because that's conjuring up all sorts of images of where exactly this is taking place. <laughs>
1: We are on a bed. <laughs> yeah, we are, yeah.
0: yeah. Very manly poses going on too as yeah. well.
1: No, but it was great. It was very nice to see the Irish reception to one of your novels. And I'm happy that you came up. Uh, Fry Club was very happy to have you. And yeah, the reception was fantastic.
0: It was lovely to be there. But yeah, it's great. I mean, it isn't, I don't think I've ever actually gone to an Irish book club of any kind.
1: Yes, but we have to give a shout out to Cooper and Connor. Yeah.
0: And, yeah, everybody. K. K is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still processing all the things I heard last night, Sort of bonkers altogether, which, yeah, which yeah, just great. Yeah, it was lovely, though, because, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I could have walked in and everyone said, yeah, we read your book. Jesus, it was terrible. And which, you know, it would be fair enough. If people don't like the book, then they don't like it. It wouldn't have bothered me, but it was very gratifying to hear that people at least got entertained by it because it's ultimately why we do it, like, you know. But, yeah, it was fun, lovely group of people. There's something that people probably don't know about you listening, and that's that you used to sing in a grunge band. I did. Back in Ireland, yeah? Back in Ireland, yeah. It was, uh, yeah, back in the days, I think, I'd always had an interest in music, but Nirvana had broken at the time, and I was I was listening to Smells Like Teen Spirit on repeat all day long. And yeah, then I went to school, and there was bands that I'd always been peripherally aware of, so I put myself out there, and I was like, yeah, sure, I can sing an old song here and there got really serious really quickly then What age were you? Oh, geez, I was 16 maybe yeah, yeah, yeah and I kept going then I joined another band and I was living in Cork and we were doing the bars and, you know <laughs> biker festivals and everything and I think it lasted until I was about 22 maybe a year later then I came here and started just attacking the writing full force but it was lovely and I still miss it you know it'd be the kind of thing where I go do karaoke now trying to relive my glory days <laughs> I'm sure that's painful to watch That's really
1: funny because, you know, I come from a music background around the same age, 16 is when I started out. And then we started talking and then it was only later I realized you're also from Ireland. I didn't know that. I swear to God, I read so much about you and I'd never looked into, you know, your biography or anything. And then when I found that out and I... I sent you a message and I said, holy shit, man, I didn't even fucking know you were Irish. <laughs> it's embarrassing. And then we were talking, because we started talking about music initially. That was the thing. And then That's right. And found out that I also wrote. Yeah. And that, yeah, a lot of similarities happened in there. That was very funny to find out.
0: Well, so when you're Irish, you have to be stuck in everything, like you know.
1: Do you still miss music?
0: Oh, I do. Yeah. yeah all the time. Yeah. And even when I went, to, when I first moved to America, I think it was... I was there for about eight months, I'd say, and I started looking at the the stats for bands looking for singers. I was going to get back into it and everything. And I had an audition for one band, and I didn't recognize most of the names that they said were their influence or what they liked to play. And then I YouTubed the bands they were talking about, it was all hair metal. Bad, glittery, spandex pants, hair metal, and I thought, oh Jesus, no, I didn't even bother going. I kind of lost it then after that, but yeah, just all the time, I love music. Yeah, I'd love to get back into it, but sure, you know, one thing Should at form a time. To
1: a, a horror writer band.
0: To be great, to be like Stephen King's thing. Oh, yeah, the Rock, rock Bottom rock Remainders. remainders yeah, 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 yeah.
1: Funny story, I actually, um, I was in contact with a club in France, and they were booking, and I had the bizarre idea to book the Rock Bottom Remainders. So I talked to their agent for about two months, but unluckily the French club closed down. But I was in talks about getting them a date over there, yeah. That would have been some crack.
0: But yeah, I do it, only I'd be afraid that my sales would flatline (laughs) as a result. As soon as anybody heard my voice, that'd be end of it.
1: You sing like an author?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. No wonder he writes books, you can't hear him that way. We're we're drinking coffee, hold on. Copious amounts of coffee. This is the only criticism I have now about this show so far is that there's not somebody coming in refilling the cup every five yeah. minutes. Actually, we usually fill we
1: oh, Fuck, can you hear me? What am I talking about? <laughs> we usually record this podcast in the studio, in Creamy Sonic Studio in Dublin.
0: I We're actually two feet away from the bed that I woke up in this morning. And when I woke up, I had no idea where I was. Yeah. Not a clue. And there was a dog licking my clothes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I woke at all... Because I, I heard him outside the door. He went... Rawr. <laughs> and I thought, what is, is that Matt? How bad is he this morning? And the dog walks in and starts licking my pants and then put its head up in the bed and was like, you know, who are you? And I, at that point I didn't know who I was and I certainly didn't know who the dog was. I thought I was dreaming. And then the dog came over here, started licking around my little suitcase thing and went into the bathroom <laughs> and came out and they gave me a look on the way out like, are you getting up or what?
1: Django yeah he's great Django yeah yeah there's two basset hounds in this house and one of them has no eyes his name is Chicho but uh, yeah Chicho and Django for people listening who are horror fans and I assume all the listeners will be horror fans uh, there's a Jeff Strand short story that involves those two dogs it's called B-Day and I'll actually I'll post it on the Fright Club page so if listeners want to read it check out if you just go onto Facebook and type in Fright Club uh, you'll find the page I'll post it. Yeah, but those two dogs uh, attack a bunch of tattoo artists. <laughs> it's a very entertaining story.
0: It might be prophetic too, you never know. Yeah. So how are you feeling then today?
1: I'm feeling like my brain is getting sick inside my head. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, it was a good online night. We can't even idea. say we regretted it.
1: No, not at all. Uh, last night you met Conor McMahon. I'm very happy you met him. Conor, I think, is... I don't want to say the only, I'll say one of the only sort of Irish horror filmmakers who's on the scene at the moment and making a good name for himself. In terms of horror fiction, uh, there's yourself, as you said, there's John Connolly. And isn't it strange that, like, I mean, Irish um, mythology is so filled with these creatures and I don't see many Irish horror authors.
0: Yeah, it's actually, it's astonishing. Um, I would think that the the culture and the country itself is ripe for exploration in that regard. Which even myself, I mean, I haven't, uh, occasionally I'll dip into that. There's one story in particular I was talking to Conor about it last night that took a kind of a unique view of the whole fairy mythology. And, you know, yeah. the, you'd still go out to the rural places now and they'd be, they wouldn't move a fairy stone. They'd be terrified something would happen. And they always have the story, Oh, a farmer tried to move there now once and died of a heart attack. Convinced of it. Despite, you know, modern technology, despite the progress and everything, you'd still meet people who are dead convinced. Yeah. theories and will come we, get you. We were
1: talking about this last night, that when Irish people tell a ghost story, they come from the perspective that it's just true. It's a given. And everywhere else kind of takes it as a novelty when they do their ghost walks, whatever. When you come to Ireland, you know, the guide will be just saying it like it's a given truth. Yeah. There's no...
0: Oh, there's no, you don't question the, the veracity behind it. It's, it's, a, it's a truth. This happened now to a fella I know, or a fella who knows a fella. I remember my grandfather one Halloween was telling me that he dared a fella to go down to the church at midnight. And I said, sure, how will you know if I'm there? And he said, uh, sure, hammer a nail into that big dead tree beside the church. And then I'll know. This guy went down, hammered a nail into the tree, turned and something grabbed him and he died of a heart attack. It was after hammering his coat to the tree. And I thought for years I was telling people that story. My grandfather terrified. The visuals you'd get, like, you know, dark, graveyard at midnight. So I got over here and it was on an American urban legend, same exact story. So he'd seen it on the television oh, one night. Fucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he claimed <laughs> it was his own. Convinced of it for years. It was a terrifying story. Now you'd feel something grabbing your coat. You'd die of a heart attack.
1: Did you have that grown up here too? Uh, the whole ghost story thing when you're a kid. You'd always say, "Well, my grandfather did this," and everybody had a story. Everybody had a ghost story. Everyone, yeah. Everyone, and I just find it interesting that there's not more Irish horror authors. It's Uh, very strange, yeah. Set in Ireland, a lot of people draw from the Irish mythology, but it's very hard to find a book that's um, coming from an Irish perspective—not the stereotypical shit, but the the real, yeah, nitty gritty kind of thing.
0: Yep, I think you're more likely to find mystery writers or let's say, uh, drama writers who'd explore it from that perspective. But as regards horror writers, I think it's very unusual to even find one. Yeah. But I I would hope anyway that that would change over time, especially now with digital and the freedom people have to publish their own stuff, to be nice to see more Irish authors. And there are a few and they've come across, I've come across them every now and again, but they wouldn't be prolific.
1: Yeah. I suppose there's a tendency to, you know, American stuff with filaments, it, it influences everybody. And I think there's a tendency to sort of set your stories there when you start out. Yeah. I um purposely didn't do that with the short story collection. I, there's a story called The Fairy Tree. And I went into Irish mythology about yep. this. There's a fairy tree in Glendalough. And as you said, nobody will touch this fucking thing. Yeah. So I thought uh, fairies in Irish mythology have always been these mischievous fuckers. Oh, yeah. And there's some creepy fairy stories and I hadn't read a modern one. So I took that and I did a modern fairy Irish story. Why are you laughing? What are you looking?
0: At? <laughs> no, no, because <laughs> because, you know, what is what you're saying there is exactly the same thing I did. I, I couldn't just go okay, but, or the fairies and do this or do that. Like they had to be malevolent. Yeah. But the thing is, and I'm agreeing with you, what you're saying there is even us now and we're skeptics. We'd go down and if you were sitting there, sure, if there's people around here, they're out of their fucking minds, like, you know, the fairy tree for God's sake. But then if someone handed you a chainsaw, you would go near it. Yeah. You know? And we know better, but at the same time, we wouldn't touch it. Like, just on the off chance that there's that into it, like, you know, I've bad enough luck, now I don't want to be pushing it. Have a fairy come up and kick you up the arse. <laughs> That's my tree, you bastard. Yeah,
1: we um, went to stay in this house in Leash, and uh, there's a graveyard nearby and we all decided, let's go out there at midnight. There's myself, Connor, Melissa, everybody. We all went up there, and uh, in the graveyard, everybody got freaked out. Now we knew there's nothing. I don't think there's a believer, so to speak, in the group. But once we hit that fucking graveyard, that like, Irish mentality of "don't touch anything, just you know, leave it."
0: Just there. on the off chance, that's the thing. But it it doesn't matter. You could be an absolute one hundred percent died in the world skeptic. Yeah. Don't believe in anything you can't see with your own eyes. But the problem is then you go into an old Irish graveyard in the dark and you can't see it with your own eyes you're like well you know there might anyone else see that shadow over there like
1: have you ever uh, looked at any Irish mythology like creatures from mythology and thought that's going to make a good story any of the classics i have
0: wanted for as long as i'm writing can i guess it banshee yep exactly i've wanted to write a modern thing because i I was and this will tell you about the whole skeptic thing i think i was maybe 12 and I went out uh, on Halloween night, trick or treating the whole thing. But uh, on the way home, I heard this wail, no you know, you know a, a crying, weeping kind of thing. And for all I know, it could have been a cat. But where I grew up, you could almost see the sea from where we live, right on the harbour. So I was convinced it was the banshee. Anyway, the next day I woke up and somebody around the corner had died. You know, the, the mythology says if you yeah. hear her crying, someone's going to die. But I was convinced of it for years. I was like, yeah, I heard that, and your grandparents had said, oh, sure, I heard the banshee there once, and sure, poor whatever died the next morning, like, and I, whatever." But I'd love to do something very complex with that. I'd like to update it, and because the whole myth—it's not just a woman who weeps—goes back to the washerwoman, and you know, yeah, battles yeah. the old uh, Celtic wars and everything. And they swear they see the washerwoman washing the blood off the clothes and then that mean your side of the win or something, you know. I'd say I'll do it, though, because it's one one thing that I I haven't tackled. I almost wove it into um, one of the Timmy Quinn stories, but I felt like it was kind of a peripheral thing and it deserves its It's own own, spotlight. So I cut it from the book, but I have it somewhere. I think it was 50 pages of it. But I'd like to go back, and I'd say I will eventually go back and write a big, sprawling novel about it. I love wanted that.
1: to do that too. And I had the only thing I I had in my head was I wanted to do the Banshee, and I also wanted to cover the Irish rock scene mm. because there is a thriving rock scene in Dublin. There always has been. Back to Thin Lizzy, Rory Geller, all these guys, and I always wanted. What if the Banshee was in a rock band in Dublin, Ireland? I just, I like that concept. That's it's, great. Uh, nothing more than that. And I think it's just going to fucking flop. If someone and wants to take it,
0: go ahead. But then you could, I mean, <clears throat> just taking that, that seed of an idea, you could have then, of course, that the songs that she's producing and they're causing people to die. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, so it'd be great. Yeah. Have a kind of a ring thing, but to be, you know.
1: Yeah. I did, uh, there was another story. Uh, where I tackled the Will of the Wisp, you know, these lights yep. that are in the bogs. Everybody mm-hmm. heard that story here growing up. Yeah. And I thought, what if it was attached to something like a lure fish?
0: So yeah. I,
1: have, I came up with that. Is there anything that you ever wanted to, besides the banshee, a more uncommon Irish mythological creature?
0: Um, You know, I've always wanted to invent them. Yeah. Because it's so, this country is so old. And there's all this, you look in any direction, you'll see the mountains and, a lot of um pools we'll say, a lot of lakes in the middle of mountains that apparently, according to local legends, have no bottom. They just go on forever. They haven't the local colleges have tried to plumb the depths as it were, and came back empty. This is the story anyway. And I've always thought, well, what's down there? You take you take an old Irish lake that gets progressively darker and nobody knows what's at the bottom of it. Well someday something's gonna come out of it, like, you know. I'd feel like an Irish Godzilla. <laughs> <laughs> There's an image. It is Godzilla, Godzilla McCarthy. <laughs> He'll He's just like come Godzilla. up. Oh ye. yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, <these> lads. <clears throat> I'd say I'll be eating you now. Later.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All these towns have a local. So- I think every town here has a a local story. A something, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And they're fascinating. They're so inventive. There's that. Have you ever heard that place where the the water runs uphill?
0: There's a place just outside Dungarvon in Mahon Falls where if you, it's the same thing. You'd see the, the stream going up the hill. And if yeah. you leave the handbrake off the car, the car will roll, roll up, up the up. way. Which yeah. is, I think, what it is. It's just a, it's an optical, illusion, an optical yeah. illusion. Yeah, The perspective you're looking at makes it look like it's going up that way, but it's not.
1: But isn't it fascinating that to this day, people uh, don't even question it. That no. Yet that's where water runs uphill.
0: It is, yeah. Naturals. Yeah. 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 You'd bring anyone who hasn't been there out there and watch them, like, astonished by it. And sure, I mean, there's a logical reason for everything. Of course. But we're not interested in that. No. (laughs) The story's way better without it, you know. Oh, yeah, magic tree out there, Magic, magic water. That's it now.
1: But I remember every kid had a story. Everyone had a tale that was handed to them from someone else. And I heard so many growing up. I'm sure you were the very same. Yeah. Thousands of them.
0: Which out back of my grandmother's there was a big just a big granite block in the middle of the field. You know, farmers had sometimes deliberately put them there. I don't ask me why, but they had they had their reasons. But of course that farmer died and then the farmer who came in after him would be telling everyone the man died because he tried to move the rock. Yeah. Or, you know, you'd see a car wrecked against it in the middle of a field where no car has any business being. Legend instantly. Monsters. Fairies threw the fucking car at the rock couldn't be that the fella came home in horrors and just drove yeah, into yeah. it like you know
1: there was a yeah there's a fairy tree in glendalock that has uh people put their wishes on it and to this day you go there and you can you know turn over a wish and read it and it's sad to read there's really stuff like you know help me get over this cancer and stuff like this and but hundreds and each week you go up there it's full of new wishes
0: yeah it's fascinating it's, it's really actually fascinating. funny because it's the same you were saying now about the the water running uphill and everything. Out in Mahan Falls, just outside Lungarvan, and they have the wishing tree there as well. Yeah. Same thing. There's always festooned with everybody's, you know, please, please help me get over this debt now. It's crushing to be reading them. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, Jesus, you turn, you go 10 miles in any direction, they have their own mythology. Nice. So you're right, I actually agree with you. it. Is, it's amazing that it hasn't been explored more. You know? Yeah, a we should, is. we'll have to rectify that, I think.
1: I think there needs to be an anthology. Oh, yeah. An Irish anthology of all these
0: mythological yeah. things.
1: Did you ever play an instrument?
0: I played guitar. Um, but all I did was just tune down the top string drop tuning, <laughs> the drop D tuning and drop the D, D, D tuning. D. That was it. Yeah. And taught myself enough to play the power chords and shit like that. But I was somebody who put sheet music in front of me, then he might as well be showing me like a freaking Roller, toilet Roll for all the good I did me. Yeah. But uh, I was, you know, I managed it all right. But I was able to replicate whatever I'd hear. But anything more complicated than that, then I have to get off the stage.
1: And what about um, uh, writing lyrics? Were you the lyricist? Oh, the yeah. I yeah. loved
0: it. Loved it. It was one of my favourite things to do was to for the lads to give you the music, you know, or I'd write the music and tell everyone what parts to play or they'd come up with their own. And once we had the music, then I'd just be mumbling away, you know, making up lyrics as I was going along. But then I'd go out of the band room. And then we had our own little soundproof shed and everything. I'd come out and I'd write the lyrics for it. And for some reason, they all seem... I was. I think I was the male version, the male grunge version of Taylor Swift. (laughs) Every single one of my songs seemed to be either a revenge ditty about some girl who cheated on me or a girl I had left that I was still in love with. And it's all just like, oh, yeah, I don't need you anymore. God, God, the whole, Jesus Christ, get over yourself. I'd say I was 17, 18, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And I was the centre of the universe, of course. And, you know, (laughs) how could you leave me? Do you find
1: yourself missing writing lyrics or is it just... I a, do.
0: I yeah. do actually. It's just weird. A couple of years ago, there was a, there was a musician that was a reader of mine. He asked if I'd be interested in writing their lyrics for him. I don't know what happened actually, because I told him I would be, but um, I don't know, did he quit the band or something? But either way, we never followed up on it. But I'd love that now. Do you still
1: get an itch to write songs? Would you
0: yeah. go back to it? I would, yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. I loved it because it's it's like you said, it's a completely different experience. You just think, well, you could write comic books, you can write novels, you can write lyrics. But writing lyrics is almost like a form of journalism because you're limited in how, how much you can do and you have such a short space to try and get across the story or the message that you're trying yeah. to convey. And there's repetition because you're talking chorus. So, you know, and you have to consider the impact and the and the change in tempo. And it's it's a different creature, but I love it. Yeah. Love that. Now, back in the day, it was it was a great outlet for me.
1: Do you ever get inspiration from lyrics? Oh, yeah. Ever go there? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, I listen to a a kind of an acoustic Soundgarden song or something. I'd be thinking about it for the day and one line of it then would trip the switch and I'd start developing a story based on it, you know. But yeah, it's, it all goes round in circles, I'll tell you. Music is inspiring and yeah. some writing it's, inspires it's music. That, yeah. um,
1: a lot of authors will always quote musicians as their inspiration, yeah. not necessarily other authors. Was there any other mediums you like? Because I always found comedy is great.
0: Oh, yeah. Like Hicks
1: and Carlin and stuff like that. That's triggered so many ideas for me, music and writing.
0: Yeah, and I think it's it's interesting you said that because I've always believed that... Writing, it, just writing is hard. Writing horror is hard, very hard, because you you have to work sometimes within the parameters of the genre. You have to, you have a certain format, the form. format, yeah, a certain way that people expect it to be written, certain method of delivering scares. It's it can get very technical, and I think that writing good comedy is incredibly difficult. Yeah, you know, it's not it's why we're not awash in funny comedians because it's it's a hard skill to learn because just like horror comedy everyone's already heard the joke and i think as horror writers it's our responsibility to write the joke that hasn't been told yet and it's the same with comedians they have to come up with a good riff on something that makes people laugh but you know a lot of it's overdone
1: i recently got the show um somebody who had never seen doug stanhope or bill hicks never even heard of them and i got to sit there and show them the show and it was fascinating to me that this guy didn't laugh once, but he loved it. Yeah, And he said, I love it because it's almost like a philosophy and the jokes are an afterthought. Yeah, You know, that's the vehicle to get the message across. And I think that's why things can cross-pollinate, like yeah, music can inspire authors and comedians can inspire musicians. Yep, yeah. You know, the, uh, the, the medium that you're using is exactly that. It's like the dressing to the idea. Yeah. The idea is what's important.
0: That's very true. And I mean, you know, I think like any art form, good comedy, like you said there with the philosophy, good comedy has a message behind it. You know, fundamentally it's a joke, but I mean, the best humor comes from very real situations. And I think the same works with writing and with horror, the best horror comes from exploring things that most people don't want to look at, yeah, that we're afraid to look at, you know, but... Of course, fear is the fundamental part of it.
1: Have you ever delved into the taboo?
0: Um, I did, yeah. Um, and it was interesting because I went to a convention in Rhode Island, Nikon, and um, one of the questions that was asked of the panelists was, is there a line you wouldn't cross? Yeah. Which fascinated that's me. That's an interesting thing about horror. It, yeah. That. Yep. And Jack Ketchum was actually on the panel and he said, everyone had these in-depth answers and some of them said, well, I wouldn't do that now and only because it doesn't appeal to me or I wouldn't do this. We were talking for 20 minutes, came to Jack Ketchum and asked him the same question. He went, no, no. And he was almost offended to be asked. He yeah. went, no, there's, there's no line open and cross. That's, that's what we do.
1: Because I think it's the only genre you can touch on. Things
0: like this. Yeah. And as a result, I think part of the reason that the genre gets maligned is because it forces people to face things we'd rather not see. But that's the definition of horror. You take something that people don't want to acknowledge or don't want to think about or look at and you build a story around it. But yeah, there's certain things that I'm you have to be incredibly careful. You know, I mean, I I wrote a story about (laughs) pedophilia, which I said I'd only hinted at it in some stories or mentioned it as an off-camera thing that had happened to a character. Yeah, yeah. But this kind of forced me to face it head on because of the nature of the story. It was what happened has changed this person psychologically as naturally it will. But it required me to explore it and it was uncomfortable to write it. You know, I, I wouldn't say that I enjoyed the experience of writing it, but... Yeah, I mean, I don't... I used to say that there was things I wouldn't write about, and I, I don't think there is now. I think I'd write about anything if I had a reason to.
1: I think it's important to explore those topics, too. Yeah. It's the only genre you can really touch this shit.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I would never be interested in, in gratuitous explorations of certain subjects.
1: For the for the
0: Or exploiting of, it just yeah. for entertainment. It would have to be intrinsic. It would have to be a, a natural part of the plot. Yeah that it wouldn't work without it. But I don't. I, do, I couldn't face a subject like that and get any kind of gratification of from it. Of course not. No, because no, then I'd, I'd feel sick with myself, you know.
1: And what I found very interesting is how beautifully some of these people will put a subject that you think, fuck, I don't want to read this.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you
1: read it and you see what they're trying to say with it and you go, okay, that's actually... Yeah. You come away a different person now than when you...
0: Well, and I it. think horror should make you uncomfortable. There's been certain books that have come out and they've gotten raves, but it's also been con- controversial. We'll say that your main character just... I'm yeah, yeah, sure. yep. There was, you know, I know with Jack's stuff, There's he has, I think, his entire career been dealing with um, accusations of misogyny. and Even if he's just basically telling something that's largely based on fact or true crime. And... It's interesting how passionate people get over that stuff. They'll say, oh, you're, I don't read Jack Hitchman's books because they're all full of women being abused yeah. and da-da-da. And I can see that point. I can read them and go, if you look at it a certain way, that's what it's about. But if you look at it another way, it's about yeah. female empowerment.
1: Well, I think it's a whole thing of if you look at it on face value, it can look like that until you read it and you see it from Jack's perspective of what he's trying to say with that.
0: Exactly. It's like, a, I think he's... It's a common misconception that he sensationalizes certain subjects. Yeah. And I get that point. If, if if it was me, it'd be hard to defend it. But there was, we'll say, and I've dealt with it, with Kin, as we were discussing last night. I've had people who won't read it. And I've said, well, but you've said you like Stephen King, you like this, you know, all the horror writers, all your favorite books are some of the most messed up books out there. I said, why is it then that you won't read Kin? And so I heard there was a rape in it. And it's not shown; it's referred to after the fact because I've no desire to write about that either, yeah. you know. But it was. But they will not read it because it's mentioned that it happened. They won't read it. Yeah. Now I don't know if that's just a personal preference, which is fair enough, or because of something they went through. It's not my business to know that, and I don't assume anything. But point blank, shut down. Won't read the book, and you can't really then defend it and say. Well, it's only mentioned off-camera. It's, it's it's uh, you know, mentioned as what she went through. It's not shown. It's not gratuitous. There's no, there's no actual showing of that. They don't care. Like, no, it's in the book. I won't read it.
1: And it fascinates me because, I mean, the entire point of that novel is the psychology of her after the fact. Yeah. And her getting through this and dealing with it, like her psychological state that she's in and stuff like that. Yeah. And I think it's important to talk about topics like this. This is why I think... Horror is needed yep. to talk about these taboo subjects and put them in the air. Yeah, and say let's fucking sit down and talk about let's this. talk about it.
0: Well, and it's what we were we were uh, saying last night is that the genre in film and literature is packed to capacity with buxom blondes being murdered in the woods by masked killers. But you very rarely, when when the girl gets away at the end, then what happens? There is like happy ending. But when you think about her getting away after losing all her friends and seeing unspeakable things, it's not really a happy ending. You'd almost be better off dead than have the kind of life that follows that. And that's why I wrote Kin, because I was fascinated by that idea.
1: And somebody at Fry Club brought it up last night, I think it was Dave. Yeah. He said the question, uh, sorry, he just stated that Kin is like, uh, what happens after a horror movie? Exactly. And I'd never, I didn't even crossed my mind that holy shit that is exactly it
0: yeah
1: it's sort of like the horror movie's over now what
0: now what do you go home to who are you now yeah and that was an amazingly compelling idea for once it struck me like i had all the components in my head but once it struck me that that would be the angle and it came to me out of the blue i thought yeah let's let's find out what happens after the credits yeah
1: because it's a genius setup, because it opens up almost like the end of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She's running on the road. She's dripping fucking blood. The serial killer's chasing her. The car comes and picks her up. But that's where it starts. Yeah. And it was fascinating. It's a
0: brilliant, brilliant novel. Well, thank you. And I, I like what I wanted to do with it was to, you know, dropping a stone in a pond and seeing how the ripple effect. Yeah, yeah. It's those people picking her up. They're fucked then, you know. They they go somewhere else and whoever they meet to help, they're now in it because this guy who's following has seen them. He's seen the yeah. truck and it just radiates outwards and affects everybody it touches. And I think that grief and trauma do that, you know.
1: Can I ask whereabouts the character Finch came from? Because he was an interesting addition and I was thinking he came from an Irish background to take a, a war veteran. What was
0: you know? I kind of I think I would I would credit John Connolly for both Finch and Bo in that yeah. because I had come off just reading three of his books back to back and I love his They were, they his were books. an
1: interesting addition and they came in much later. You know, yeah, was, um, so I was when I was always when I was reading, I was thinking, where is this going? Where...
0: Yeah. Well, I kind of it was with Finch. It was again uh, an exploration. The theme of the whole book would be trauma and how you know you're changed psychologically by the things you endure and finch was basically just another aspect of that how patriotism and fighting for your country and what you endure over there can change who you are so basically i try to get in as many and you have domestic abuse in there than in the detroit sections and how the children are affected how everybody's life gets altered by different kinds of trauma and just you know the the psychological impact of basically just being us I I could probably have gone on for another 100 pages yeah, but it was
1: fascinating and I especially liked uh, Louise and the boy's story. Yeah. That was great.
0: That's one that people are divided on. They they say that they don't like that it suddenly the the novel switches to different characters and it's they're impatient to get back to the story of Luke but and
1: I thought that was very interesting when you, when you left Luke and then you just switched and then you're reading it because you want to get back to Luke, of course. Yeah. That was the hook.
0: Yep. That was, I was hoping it would work that way. Some people loved it. And it, in fact, it's, it's weird. And we were, we touched on it last night, but when people are discussing their favorite characters from that book, I mean, I know who mine are, yeah. but I'm always surprised when people say their favorite characters are Pete, the kid, or Luke. You know, and I won't go into it, obviously, not to spoil it, but Luke would be the bad guy when the novel starts.
1: But I think it's the fact that you did something unique. You made the reader sort of see it from Luke's perspective. Yeah. And I think nobody had been expecting that. So then when they start caring for Luke a little bit, even though he does absolutely horrible things, they can't deny that they care for him a little bit.
0: Yeah. But I think that was the single most gratifying thing about it that I, I, I... Email and we were discussing last night how deranged it was that people were saying, oh, kind of wanted, kind of wanted Luke and Claire to get together by the end of it. I'm like,
1: what? That is fucking sick. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: I don't know. I don't, I don't understand that at all. But I did definitely want the reader to, if not sympathize, at least understand that he didn't wake up one morning and decide to be, you know what? I'm going to go out and torture people. Now that'll be fun. Bit of crack. So it's just sometimes you're born into something and you don't know anything else. And to him, he was protecting his family, the same as they all were. But it's kind of, I I really wanted the reader to be uncomfortable because they did understand him. Like, oh, I don't want to be feeling the sympathy right now. Oh, geez, that makes me feel.
1: No, I think you pulled it off very well. And tackling religion coming from the Irish background. How could you not? You just got to do it.
0: Yeah, I tried to explore a lot of things in it. And I think Kin is notable. In that, I think it's the most mature book I've written. Yeah. I think I was finally at a point where I was ready to tackle those subjects. Because, in I remember you mentioning this yesterday, that you can have a great idea and all the components, but no, it's bigger than your ability to write it. Yeah. Now. So you leave it, percolate, and come back to it a couple of years later, and suddenly it's the book you were meant to write at that given time. Yeah. But Kin was the book for that time, and I don't know, it was... I won't say easy... Because there's a lot of messed up stuff in that that it was hard to tackle it. But it was definitely, I think, the most fluid writing experience I've had. Because I sat down started writing that and just didn't stop until it was done. I think I wrote it in three months. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it almost appears now as it was written. I had editors look at it and obviously there was the usual grammatical stuff and errors here and there. But as regards content, it's almost now as it was when I wrote it. Very little cutting. Yeah. I think I have a file for the stuff I cut because I never dump anything, but it might be like 12 pages that I cut from it. And usually I cut hundreds of pages from everything I write. So, yeah, it was an interesting one. I've never quite had the same experience in writing something that I did with that.
1: It was funny you were talking about uh, going through Alabama mm-hmm. and you saw the cotton fields for the first time.
0: <laughs> I was like a child hopped out yeah. of the car. Yeah. And I, I don't know robbed half the cotton and threw it into the car. But yeah, so sorry to the farmer, whoever had go. it. Yeah. Go, go, go. I have a
1: fun idea downstairs okay for people listening fry club have a an introduction thing that we do there's a pumpkin called the getting to know you pumpkin this pumpkin is full of questions that you must pull one at random and you have to answer it so i'm gonna go get the pumpkin right and we're gonna answer some all right so we're back with the pumpkin i'm gonna
0: shake it for the listeners pick one at random you want me to read it wow what is your favorite book outside of the horror genre That's an easy one. Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. Although technically, because while it is classed on all fronts as an epic western, it has everything in it. And I would argue that it's horror in it as well. But Isolated Pockets, I think it's just an example of a book where everything is done to perfection. And I'd be lucky if I'll even write anything close to it. But yeah, I read that. And it's one of the few books that actually made me cry. Twice. So I think it's notable for that alone.
1: You were talking about another one last night called Bird Box.
0: Bird Box by Josh Mallerman. Yeah, I need to look that up. It sounds fucking. Oh, it's neat. a fantastic yeah. book. Yeah, it's one of the best hard novels I've read. I'd say in the last ten years. Wow. Yeah, brilliant.
1: Let's let's do a handful. Let's see what's,
0: what would, we got here. I'll go. I'll go right down deep now. <laughs> that, that's, that's what she said. All right, let's see. Uh, oh man, would you ra- would you rather we're playing now? We're in deep shit. Would you rather get eaten alive by rats or fish? <laughs> Jesus. Well, um, I'd say fish. Because you'd assume that if you're eaten alive by fish, they'd be piranhas. Yeah. And I'm just thinking ahead to the obituary. If you're eaten alive by rats, you probably were stuck in a basement somewhere. And this is very <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe, our Lovecraft, very boring. If you're eaten alive by piranhas, that would make for a great story, wouldn't it? It would. Or even if no
1: one ever finds out, that is, they can speculate better. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Here's a good
1: one. Have a look at that one.
0: Okay, let's see what's this. If you could choose a character from fiction as your sidekick, who would it be? Ooh, uh, I would say, staying with John Connolly, I'd say probably Charlie Parker. Yeah, from his series because he just, he's human. But he, he's badass. What word do you have trouble saying? <laughs> no, no. I actually have trouble saying... Uh, they're not butterflies. <coughs> it's spelled M-O-T-H-S.
1: You can't say it?
0: Moths. <laughs> my, my tongue gets stuck on the end of that word for some reason. Moths.
1: My sister can't say spaghetti. She says scabetti. Now She can sound it out syllable by syllable yeah. And she'll do that and then go for a run and just say scabetti she just can't do it
0: she and that's the, and the way scabetti. i am with that if i sit there and i'm very very you know if, if i work it out i can say moth right no problem plural moths <laughs> but to say <laughs> but to say the word just in casual conversation and i'll be in the middle of a sentence and I'll, it'll come up and i'll dread it immediately when i hear someone yeah. talk about it but i'll say it and I, I get so conscious of the fact that that word is coming and I have to say it that I kind of... I'm like a fella trying to run through a brick wall. I'll go... I'll overdo it and I'll be like, yeah, yeah, sure. It's like that time I was attacked by moths. <laughs> <laughs> moth. Here's a good one, actually. I like this one. What's the biggest lie you've ever told? Uh, oh, God. Um, <laughs> uh, I think... at one point I was out drinking one night and I I, I was maybe... 20 and I convinced the girl that I was American yeah. and that I was an actor and that I was famous and I was only there for the weekend to go back and finish making the film and <laughs> I think it had the desired effects and I leave it at that but uh I've always regretted that though because it was under false pretenses and I, I you know I even for a couple of years tried to track her down but sure you know couldn't <laughs> couldn't remember her name the next day so it was hard but uh,
1: we'll go for two more and then we'll wrap
0: Right. If you hmm. could rewrite the ending of any book, what would it that be? That is a good one. Actually. That's a yeah, great question. One. It's a tough one, though. Uh, because usually if I don't like the end of a book, oh, wait, shit, I have it. It. Oh, yeah? It's one of my all-time favorite horror novels. I think it's an absolute work of genius, but I never liked the end of it. Now, I like the, we'll say, the epilogue of it, how he ties everything up yeah, with the yeah. people and the, the wife on the bike with the husband and, you know, him bringing her back. Loved all that. But the final confrontation in that, while over the years it's been explained in better detail about why it's that particular thing. You so know, I'll put out clearly. Yeah, that or The Stand. I think both of those are the best horror novels with the worst endings.
1: I, I love The Stand. Yeah. But I have this that problem with King all the time. His endings fall flat for me. Yeah. Um, a lot of times. And I mean, I, I love... King's work, but the, the endings always
0: are. It's seen, and it's funny because <laughs> she'll kill me if she hears this. My mother has a thing where she's read all my books, and she says the highest compliment she's paid. And she'd she'd be a harsh critic now, so she wouldn't be telling me what I want to hear. Or oh, my darling son, he writes the horror is great. She would say to me the best compliment she's ever given me. She's like, I'd be in the middle, I'd be there in my Kindle, and I'd be reading one of your books, and I'm halfway through it, and I forget to you that's after writing it. So I think this is fantastic altogether until I get to the ending. She said, you're a wicked talented writer and I'm very proud of you and I love all your books except you suck at the end. Your endings are terrible. You have the same problem King has and (laughs) it would be bad enough to hear that once but every time I come out with a book she'll read and go, oh, that was great now and the ending now left a bit to be desired and I'm like, Jesus Christ, merciless.
1: Trust your own mother to be merciless.
0: She wouldn't but you know, I appreciate the candor too because nobody else would be... I don't think anybody else would be as honest, you know, not in person. They'd come up and say, oh, I love your books, even if they, yeah, sure, they're all right.
1: What have you got there?
0: What was your first job? My first job was as a waiter in a seaside hotel uh, called Clannay down in Dungarvan. This was just a couple of miles from where I was, uh, from where I lived. I hated every minute of it. I had to wear a starchy white shirt and tie and pants that I think were about at least three inches too short. I swear I looked like, I don't know, I looked like a half-baked leprechaun walking around the place. <laughs> but it was just, it was a long, tankless job. And while the customers I met always made it worth it, because they were lovely people, you know, nice, nice to you. Um, I didn't like working there. The long hours, I had to bicycle in and out every night. And I remember I was actually just, this is getting a little bit off the topic now, but I, I, now that I thought of it, I remember I came home and my mother was working a bar job at the time, so she'd had late hours, too. And I think it was about half two in the morning. I came back and all the doors were locked and she was still cleaning up at work. So I said, Jesus, I can't. And I was exhausted. I think I'd done like a 14 hour shift or something. So in my moment of wisdom, I broke a little window at the back of the house and I climbed in and I got stuck. And as I'm wiggling there, trying like half in, have my legs sticking straight out in the back and half of me like hovering over the sink trying to get in. Cutting the life out of myself with the broken glass. The front door opens and my mother walked in after finishing work. Just here she sees me half in, half out of the window. I, I thought she was going to kill me. She didn't as it turns out. I think she was exhausted too. She just opened the back door and said, here, get in. But that was my first job anyway. Hated every minute of it. What was the worst punishment your parents ever Enacted. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, telling me my endings suck. Love you to pieces, you're a great writer, can't stand your endings. I think the the worst punishment, and it wasn't exactly punishment, but was when we'd get out from school when I was younger. Summer, whole summer holidays ahead of you, like, we were all planning stuff for my friends, and I'd be sent out to my grandmother's. Oh, shit. And now I loved being out at my grandmother's, but it was out in the mountains, out in the middle of nowhere, there was no children my own age, nothing to do. Well, now that's not fair because, you know, you'd go off into the fields and go exploring yeah. as you would. But all my friends were in town doing their stuff for the summer and I'd be stuck out there. And so while she didn't mean it as a punishment, it was a punishment to me. I couldn't stop thinking what my friends were doing and they were all off on their bicycle adventures. And here's me looking at a mountain. <coughs> yeah,
1: I'm going to end on this one. All right, here, here I end with this one. All right, silly,
0: silly one. On. What's this one? Would you rather have a dragon or, or be a dragon? <laughs> um, that's a hard one to answer because I have no frame of reference. You know, I mean, the most I've yeah, ever I've had was a dog. A <laughs> yeah, and I've never been a dragon or talked to anyone who was. So, you know, but I think I'd like, I think I'd like to be one. There's something about the, the appeal of flying and looking badass at the same time. Like you know, <laughs> being able to cook people I don't like.
1: Wouldn't this episode be great to take you out of context? <laughs> Wouldn't I'd have love it?
0: to be a dragon. I'd love I love to be yeah, yeah. I don't even know what that means, man. <laughs> 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 oh, fuck. oh my god! All right, let's go
1: get a pint. We will. I think. I think we'll have to. <laughs> this is
0: the only oh, way yeah. we'll be able to keep going. All right.